Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of All Things Marketing and Education. Today, I have the absolute pleasure to chat with Jason Torres-Altman. Jason has devoted a lot of his career looking at things that are slightly depressing in this world. <laughs> I would say he's really been deep diving into the inequities of education. And in particular, he evaluates the inequities of education. He also partners with people like me. I feel very lucky to work alongside him to evaluate the efficacies of ed tech products and services and ed education programs for our clients. So I've worked in the trenches with this man. I am so excited to share with you his genius because I've learned so much about how I view education in the landscape and even has it, as it trickles into marketing and community as well. So now I've worked with Jason for over three years. I would say you are, Jason, one of the most detail-oriented, funny, and thoughtful human beings I've met. Um, in a meeting about maybe a year ago, I introduced you, Jason. We were having some fun with the client as an overall smart dude. And <laughs> I am excited for this smart dude to talk about his passions and thoughts and education with all of you. So welcome, Jason. Thank you very much. That's a warm welcome. I, I believe you may have stretched, you know, the fender on that a little bit, but uh, I do the best I can when I get a chance. And uh, I don't know if any of those things are true about me. Uh, I've done all right. That was very sweet of you to say all of those things. And uh, yeah, podcast audience, it's uh, nice to chat with you or have you listen to our chat. I'm not quite sure how you uh, introduce yourself to the audience that way. But, I think uh, it's important to note that, that Jason, this is probably your first, your po first podcast, right? Is it is my first podcast. Yes. Sweet. First. Um, yeah. Why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about your background, how you got into what you do? Um, I know you don't mm -hmm. like to brag, but you do have a lot of uh, papers behind you, things that you're passionate about in education. Why don't you just talk a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, yeah, and we can be brief because the rest of the conversation will probably be far more stimulating. But, um, you know, this is kind of all I've done uh, for my career, more than 20 years now. Um, and my specific role in the environment of people trying to do things to make things better for students and teachers and for me in public schools um, is to help folks who are doing something, usually something a little bit extra. Sometimes it might be like an after school or a tutoring thing with the students. Very often though, it's, it's something that's happening with the teachers, some other kind of support, maybe a, a adult learning experience or something like that. So there's something else going on. It's not just the core curricula or whatever. And uh, I support the people who are doing those things. So I don't do those things myself, um, but I, I work with them 
to understand a little bit more or help them try to figure out and articulate more clearly why they're doing what they want to do, um, help them understand what they're maybe doing well, like the process-oriented stuff and, and things they might want to change or try to do a little bit better if there's uh, – they call it, you know, in the evaluation realm, like fidelity of implementation um, there's always kind of the dream or the picture of how it might look in like a central office. A lot of the folks I support are doing like a, um, a statewide program. So by the time you get into the 72nd different district doing something in a state, it might look a little different than the first. Um, so we work with folks to understand that. And then, of course, uh, everybody always wants to know, like, hey, are we making a difference? Right. And so um, an evaluator who's kind of working in in this space, which I am, um, ends up working with some of those outcomes type of data now, like historically, right? And, and classically, that often was the student achievement data and maybe specifically data that's coming out of like a state testing environment. And there's another whole podcast you could have a conversation about the merits of, of that particular data, but it was always there. Um, for students between the ages of uh, third grade and eighth grade and once in high school. Um, and it was there for every state and it was done every year. Uh, but clearly we've kind of moved past that, right? And there's other outcomes that folks might be interested. Maybe it's kind of simple, you know, in a school are the students attending more? Um, is teacher wellness improved? Um, is classroom engagement uh, stronger for the average student, right? So we end up working with maybe surveys, interviews, uh, any types of, um, I guess, standardized surveys that have been used before and been found to be you know, valid and reliable. We actually, along with Alana, um, we work with a group of teachers and they have an online community that they are a part of. And we just did like a formal survey. Um, it's one that's used all over the world within communities to measure the strength of that community. So sometimes it is a survey, but it's something that's a little bit more standardized. So, so yeah, I, I end up being the one who might be looking at the Excel spreadsheet for a while. Um, trying to prepare the data once we kind of know where the numbers lie in a way that would help the folks that we're working with understand what might be going on to help lead them to make their own interpretations, um, provide a little, uh, I guess, facilitation um, and support around trying to actually use the data, which is actually probably the most important part of this job. Um, that you do something, uh, provide support that is in the end actionable and something can be done differently in the future because you were involved uh, so that use is, is a big part of this job. So, um, so that, yeah, that's a little bit about what I do. I um, have worked with folks in, in so many states. So I, I live in New Orleans. Um, I do have a local client or two people just doing things in this city. So, Jason, given that you've done evaluation for states, for overall programs, organizations, and even ed tech companies, and you've been at a lot of evaluation industry conferences and just been in different nooks and crannies of the space, what do you see as the most common misconceptions about evaluation? 
That's a probably a, it's a really good easy question that might have maybe a, a little bit more complicated answer because I think it it depends who you're looking at. Um, so, for example, if you have a foundation that is giving funds to folks and expecting results, outcomes in return, um, you know, somebody in that a misconception in that arena might be that this evaluation is going to prove that we made an impact. But very often those funds are only given for one year. It, it, it's absolutely, um, you know, that it's it's not likely in so many cases that any intervention or program that was started with this funding would be able to do anything more than like the shortest of short-term outcomes and be able to show that after one year, right? So a misconception on that side of things would believe the evaluator is the one who produces the proof that their money made a big difference in the world, right? Um, on the programming side, so um, pretend that you're like a, uh, a director for a statewide program for a second. Very often evaluation is something that actually isn't a part of the programming, especially as somebody might get funding for the first time um, until they realize it's required about a month before the report is due. Um, so it's not really a misconception, it's that it, it's uh, underutilized and maybe ignored a little bit. Um, and they miss out on the parts that we talked about earlier where they could have been really honing in on the why they're doing things or you know, learning more about the way they're doing thing, what's working for who and when, um, and end up only really wanting to understand from somebody in my position whether or not the thing works, right? Um, but at that at that point, when you've gotten to that end, there isn't so much that can be done anymore, right? The, the report is produced and packaged and, and sent off to a funder. Um, and then for the folks who are involved in the programming, I think there's still, and it used to be very bad, and, and clearly you mentioned equity uh, before, right? In the spaces in which we provide support, uh, the programs, in all honesty, aren't usually trying to produce more positive outcomes for white men, right? <laughs> so as an evaluator uh, who is white and male, and maybe, you know, picture yourself in a, maybe a, an urban uh, public school setting or something like that, and if there's observations happening or something like that, right? So the mis misconception that an educator in that case might have is that the evaluator's scary or that they're trying to do something to them, right? Nobody really wants to be observed. Uh, folks feel like the evaluation is actually of them, of their own teaching or for a student of their own learning. Um, and so you always, as an evaluator, have to be really careful about how you set that lens and have folks understand that you're, you're looking at a more expansive um, view of whether or not the program's doing what it's supposed to be doing and, and what it's doing best. Um, so short question, another long answer, um, but I think it really does, it, you know, it just depends where folks uh, are sitting in whatever the thing that's happening in a school might be. Yeah, that's helpful. And I, I think in the context of this conversation, I like to think of our audience in two different parts. One are educators on the ground who we've collaborated with together. And also 
ed tech organization. So you might be a founder, you might be part of the executive team, um, you might be a marketer new to education and, and you found this podcast. And so both those, I think everything you said actually somewhat applies is that evaluation is somewhat done when it has to be done. You know, it's like that, oh my gosh, moment where you're, it's either required or you need something for funding. Um, and we've also worked in projects where if the project or the product was designed with evaluative outcomes in mind, it would help them prioritize the product better. Mm -hmm. Am I saying that yeah. right, Jason? Yeah, I think so. And what happens for folks uh, on like the nonprofit side, if they're trying to solicit funds uh, through a proposal, for example, to a foundation, very often if the f uh, the type of funding or the amount, the scope of the funding is over a certain limit, you know, maybe gets into 10000 or more or $50,000 or more that it's going to be um, exchanged in that particular uh, delivery for that program. A lot of times the evaluation part is required. It, it It's, it's, mandatory that it be a part of the the actual proposal itself um but folks don't have you know months and months and years and years to put these proposals together so people kind of do the best they can right and then just kind of jumping the fence over to like the ed tech company view like you had people are super creative um they have really good ideas uh you and i have worked for a a, a tech company that like it's really a part of their mantra to move as fast as they can and be as creative as they can. Um, and so it's interesting. Sometimes there's a little bit of a tension sometimes with evaluation, which is a little bit more um, incremental. Um, it doesn't have to be slow. Um, and there's new, definitely a new wave of techniques that evaluators are using that uh, allow the evaluation to kind of provide the just in time as I need it now types of information that are necessary to make data. Uh, but it does require sitting back and really documenting the reasons why you're doing things. Is there some theory behind the actions that you anticipate uh, having happen you know if you have a product that you think is going to be helpful for teachers in the classroom it's more than just believing that uh we made this thing it's super creative and fun and and we anticipate that all teachers will use it and it's going to improve student achievement across the board yeah and really putting our evaluator hat on, it reminds me a lot of my design thinking days because it's it's really about putting the audience in front and saying, what is the data? What does the data tell us? It's not about us or what we think or our assumptions. And sometimes it's part of the executive team if or if we're a founder, we are emotionally attached to this product. We have designed yeah. this thing to improve this thing and it's gonna do that. And if the data tells us different, they're just not using it right, you know? So we get emotionally attached. And what you really want is to have evaluation 
take a seat at the table and say, here's what's not working in all of this, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that is a hard, hard thing. But when you talk about theories of action and theories of change, do you want to just tell the audience a little bit about that exercise and how some organizations and companies use that to really hone them back to the why? Like at LCG, yeah. we work with people on bringing organizations back to their mission and their why and having that trail out into communications. But yeah. how do you do that into the product and, and, yep. and making sure the impact is there? Yeah, well, and that's that's a hard question for me to probably answer just across the board, but I do wanna actually step back, uh, one step back and mention, you know, you had, you were talking about like how folks, especially folks in leadership positions or who have um, decision-making authority within whatever entity or organization uh, might be doing the thing that they think is going to help teachers or think is going to help students, they are tied to their ideas. Like we are emotionally invested. Folks wouldn't do those jobs. You know, folks wouldn't be at the place that they are, especially if you consider the nonprofit sector. These are not like super high paying jobs where people tell you thank you very often, right? Uh, So people really believe in, in what they've what they're invested in um, is actually something with nonprofits. I think it's called founder syndrome. Um, how sometimes it's, you know, someone just actually needs to leave before the, the program really flourishes. Um, but that's natural and that's wonderful. And actually, uh, Michael Quinn Patton, who is kind of one of the foremost evaluators still in the country, he's, he's older and nearing retirement age, um, but was actually one of the first evaluators because it's a fairly new field. Um, he's also kind of dabbles with cartooning. Uh, so this is one of the people who does evaluation at like the highest levels. Um, and he's written some cartoons that place the evaluator into the place of like the court jester in like the king and queen's hall or whatever, right? And in old times, <laughs> like usually the court jester was o- maybe the only one that could get away with giving the king or the queen the bad news and not losing their head, right? And so in like a modern day context, uh, somebody who's supporting the leadership folks with the decision-making authority um, who plays that role is an evaluator. Um, Kind of, you know, maybe doing it with some data and some jokes and not just all jokes, but uh, <laughs> but having a sense of humor actually is very important, probably, in some of those conversations that I, you know, I've had, I've at least had to force out some tries at a sense of humor. So, um, so moving forward to your question, then uh, working with leaders who have like a concept, but maybe not a full fledged theory about what it is they want to do and how they want to do it uh, and and even maybe why. I think folks usually get to the point where there's kind of maybe a mission statement, a vision. Uh, they understand like the context, the, the lay of the land and the area that they're working, for example, an ed tech company. Um, and these things probably are written down, although sometimes folks move so fast that it's just kind of assumed knowledge. Folks assume that the whole team believes the same thing and that everybody feels the same way that they're in this and doing this for the same reason. Sometimes just the act of writing some of these things down uh, help to indicate areas where there might not be, you know, 100% agreement about why folks are doing what they're doing. Um, But when you get into some actual like formal uh, 
theory design and in an evaluator's role, you might actually facilitate how some of this might happen. You're really trying to get folks to understand like globally, kind of what in communities within education or ed tech, you know, in that particular industry or in the K-12 space or elementary age space or whatever, what are folks generally trying to change and towards what ends, right? And what are the steps that folks feel like they're, uh, you know, if these things would happen, then it would lead to this better outcome. And if that thing happened, one more step down the line, things would be a little better this way. And if that happened, then, you know, a series of like if then statements on a theory of change level, it's kind of understanding the context of, of what everybody's trying to do, right? And writing that down and understanding that because then the theory of action, which is another thing that you mentioned, is something that you would do internally for your own product. Um, for your own program on a nonprofit level, this is the space we've carved out where we contribute to that overall theory of change. Um, sometimes it's really helpful to work backwards a little bit. So where's the finish line? How are the how are we going to know that we're going to be on track to getting to that outcome? What are some of the mileposts that we might know that we've passed? Or where can we anticipate a fork in the road where we're going to have to decide whether we go right or left? Um, documenting some of these things on your theory of action, which is then going to describe how you intend to carry out your given program or uh, the dissemination of a new tool uh, into the industry or whatever. Um, you carve out your own space and you you definitely you know draw consensus among those that you're working with collaborate on those types of things at that point you've gotten really close you know you've done 80 percent of the work to really setting up a good plan for how you're going to track your success you know where an evaluation would come in later on but but those theory documents are really the start right and in many cases it's just taking the time uh to sit uh, around a virtual table, I guess, at this point, and and articulate those things, debate the merits of certain ideas um, with your team, and uh, and get them documented. Yeah, in the organization world, in the startup world, really, in in any business I've been a part of, we focus a lot on goals, smart goals, OKRs, KPIs, add in an acronym, a RACI. We do all of these things, but I love about evaluation that it puts the impact first. What are you ultimately trying to do? How do you specifically contribute to that impact? And that's so important. It seems so much like common sense, but sometimes organizations, and I've been in part a lot of them, that we just get caught up in the actions and don't really connect it to the impact. And I yeah. love that that's what you're saying. And for anyone that doesn't know how to get started with a theory of action or a theory of change, we'll add some templates in the show notes that you can download. And you can go to leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash eight for these show notes. And we'll add some templates for you to get started. But this episode is launching in January, which is a perfect time to rethink your plans for the entire year and overlay impact, overlay what are you ultimately trying to achieve in terms of impact? Do you want to add anything to that, Jason, as people start planning for the year as well? No, it, I mean, it's well said. Um, and these theory documents can help serve as your roadmap too, right? If 
if you only ever know that you're trying to drive uh, from the Bay Area to New Orleans <laughs> and your destination is New Orleans, uh, but you haven't taken the time to write down that eventually you're going to need to turn from, what would it be, uh, I-5 onto I-10? You could do it in one turn, I think, actually, to get all the way here. Uh, but if you haven't denoted that that turn is going to be there and this is going to be a place where we can see are we still on track or not, um, you could get to the end of next year or the next uh, development cycle or whatever it is that you're working on and not realize that you missed something that, you know, had you only known to look for it, it would have been right there kind of flashing, uh, flashing you in the eyes uh, where you maybe could have dipped another way or made another choice uh, that would have ended up being a more positive experience or leading to something better happening for students or for teachers. Yeah. Agreed. It puts you in the driver's seat, I think, when you think about impact. And impact can also bring teams together, focused, more mission-oriented. Everyone in ed tech got into ed tech because they do want, they care about students, they care about the learning experience, they care about the space, they care about educators. And I remember doing retreats where theory of change and theory of action were up there and we got to brainstorm and be a part of it and own that. So if any of you are thinking about doing retreats with your organizations or companies, this is also a really great time to bring everyone together and get them rebought into the mission and the intended impact. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think if that is something that folks are planning on, you know, something, and it, you know, it's interesting. I don't know that like the nonprofit space and the startup space are actually that different. Most nonprofits are very much startups. They're young. Uh, they're aspirational. They don't have a lot of <clears throat> seed funding necessarily. Right. Um, you know, there are some larger nonprofits that are clearly more, uh, you know, foundationally like they go back a long time and and have revenue streams that are consistent from year to year but actually a lot of nonprofits are in that space too um and for any startup or nonprofit who is starting to you know generate some of these ideas and debate the merits of of whether this theory uh may be practical or maybe off base you know the one thing i would encourage folks to do who are working in especially like the public pre-k to 12 space uh but i would assume i don't work as much uh in the higher education um industry or, or with folks in that area but i would assume it would be the same there you probably want some of those folks on your team um at the theory stage not like just the we've built the thing we want you to try it out stage right so including educators active educators too uh, not folks maybe who got out of teaching and, and joined the ed tech world or got out of teaching and joined the nonprofit world, but to the extent that you can engage active educators who know what it's like to be an educator right now, um, which is unlike any time, clearly everybody on this who's listening to this podcast will, will understand that, you know, things are different than, than it's ever been uh, for folks right now in the classroom. But yeah, the, the educators have a lot that they can offer. Um, in helping to understand uh, potential breaking points and things like that um, in your theory and, and helping to point out uh, areas where there might be significant improvement before you get too far down the line, um, you've decided what all your outcomes and things are gonna be, um, 
but you go back and there's one fundamental problem. Whatever it is you've created isn't something teachers want to use in their classroom. <laughs> like you missed on the theory, you know? Agreed. And if you've listened to any of other our other podcast episodes, we talk about bringing educator voice in, working alongside them, but also paying them for their expertise. Yes. So startups have limited budget. You do not skimp on educators. You know, they are experts. And one of the projects Jason and I worked hand in hand with is that the educators were called subject matter experts, SMEs. We brought them in. They had a pivotal role in designing the product, but also testing it and breaking it and giving that feedback without any emotion. It's so important. Um, Jason, when we think about ed tech startups, you said they're a lot like nonprofits. They have limited budget, limited time, capacity, all of these things. We talked a little bit how they can get started in evaluation, where they can start looking at frameworks like theories of action, theories of change. They can throw those into some of their strategic planning. But how do they prioritize the, the things within evaluation? Are there like little things to dip their toe in if they can't if they can't hire someone like you? How do they get started in really knowing their products making an impact? Is you yeah. just like focus groups or surveys or yeah. how do I they mean get it's started? it's kind of like anything else, right? The first step is the hardest. Like the first step out of the door uh, sometimes is the hardest. But and and some of this isn't really that different, maybe especially in the ed tech world where you mentioned the KPIs and things like that are very commonplace in the workplace. Like there is a culture already of using data and trying to make data informed decisions or at least having the data available on a spreadsheet while you go and make a decision because it's what you wanted to do anyway. <laughs> but uh, there is uh, definitely a culture there of like at least data accumulation. There's databases of stuff, especially for ed tech startups, right? Uh, whatever it is you might be developing, there's actually a lot of data being collected as it's being used and things like that. So like folks are kind of like awash in data, but like the data doesn't actually make the evaluation or something, right? It's, it's kind of just there, it's a metric, it's being measured, but kind of all those theory parts and the background parts, you know, evaluation wise that we've talked about so far, actually having a plan uh, for your evaluation, what questions are most important for you to answer, uh, who is the person or people who can help you understand uh, the answer to that question best, when is the best time to ask them, like doing those types of things. Most folks haven't probably taken the steps back to do those types of things. So. What I would suggest is uh, there is a website uh, called Better Evaluation. Um, and so that would be maybe a quick Google. Um, the Kellogg's Foundation and a couple of other of the larger family foundations in the United States have some pretty significant uh, evaluation resources. Uh, that would be a place to just see, you know, as on their giving websites or whatever, right? There's a um, a lot of resources available for folks because they're trying to allow. So, in the case of the small nonprofits, they also don't have an evaluator full time on staff. They don't have a budget to hire a consultant, which is is what I am, and so it ends up being the team that does it themselves, which is actually a great way to to learn by doing so. Um, so those resources would be 
good places for folks to um, to go to to get started. It's probably helpful to have somebody on your team, no matter how small um, and no matter how small the amount of hours or the scope that you can have them devote to this because it you know we realize people are already busy um, with what they do nine to five anyway but having somebody whose responsibility is to kind of be the evaluate evaluation voice in the room um, to bring the evaluation type questions to the group to to help slow folks down and have them write things down um, having somebody have that role I think has been helpful in the work that I've done, both with smaller nonprofits, but but also um, with folks in the ed tech area as well. Um, and sometimes that's the hardest part probably is figuring out who that would be and how to carve out their roles and responsibilities so that you can give them a few hours a week or five hours a week or something just to get started uh, so that they can kind of immerse themselves in, in some of the information that's out there. Uh, there is a, uh, and like with everything, there's an association, there's a national association for this industry of evaluation. It's the American Evaluation Association, AEA. Um, and there are nonstop conferences, uh, a lot of everything's kind of, of course, like with everything else, moved virtual. So there's a lot of um, little online webinar types of opportunities and coaching uh, arrangements and things like that that folks can get involved in through the professional organization as well. Um, and then there's local chapters. We have one down here, Gulf Coast Evaluation. Um, so uh, there is a uh, local local branch in California as well and, and you know in most regions of the United States. So getting involved with folks who are doing this a lot and being a part of their meetings and being a part of their conversations, hearing what they're doing uh, would be good. Again, if somebody can devote just a small percentage of their time every week or some time every month to be able to be a part of those things, I think would really help folks. Yeah. And I'm thinking about structures of organizations I've worked with in, in education. And more often than not, it's it's under the growth area. And growth is kind of an ambiguous term, but in a lot of ed tech, we have head of growth. Um, and what I've seen is sometimes when you want accountability for impact, they say head of growth and impact. And that might mean that they're in charge of marketing sales, but also have accountability in evaluation of some sort. So that efficacy point of it. But what you said about accountability is really important because it says it speaks wonders to your organization's commitment to impact and not just revenue too, when I see that. And I don't want it to be jargony for the sake of it, of everyone's got a head of impact now. Make sure that you're doing the things Jason is saying and devoting actual hours and aligning it with your KPIs or OKRs or whatever you want to do within an evaluation context. So that's important. Jason, I don't want to forget the educators that are listening, and they're probably slightly sure. tuning out because we're talking about education organizations, but some of them find it fascinating. But this question is just for them, is when educators are looking at evaluating products. So these might be teachers on the ground, maybe instructional coaches. So educators within classroom settings, in district settings, but then also education administrators that are, are looking to purchase products. They are getting pummeled by emails, by calls saying yeah. that, that this product will do X and this and teacher retention and all these big things they're trying to connect it to. 
how do they begin to like evaluate things and know, I look at this study that this is not BS, that it, mm-hmm. it truly is solid in terms of its research. I know that's a big yeah. question, but are there some yeah. like flags that you can point out? Well, they are definitely being uh, just totally scattershot torpedoed <laughs> with this information. Uh, those uh, directors of growth that you talked about are doing an excellent job uh, on their marketing. Um, and so these things are flooding into uh, the inboxes of educators who already have full-time jobs. And so like there is usually not within a building, sometimes maybe at the district level, somebody has some role um, to do maybe uh, subject specific evaluation of supplemental curricula or online tools or subscriptions or things like that. But, But a lot of times, it would be because of an individual educator's interest in a particular product or or subscription or something. I think that's kind of what you're referring to. And I think for those educators, just like it would be for the folks who might be making that tool and like the ed tech space, you know, starting at the end isn't always a, you know, is there still a good idea, right? What is it that you hope to have be different in your classroom? either for you to save you time or uh, to help you be able to improve the effectiveness of whatever that you're doing for all of the students in your classroom, uh, including maybe students with disabilities or English language learners, um, or for the students in your classroom, if that's the target, you know, I'm really trying to uh, increase engagement or I'm really hoping that this helps with time on task or something like that, right? So I think educators need to start with the end in mind and then knowing what it is that you're trying to do, you can probably send a lot of that information that's coming your way over email kind of to the trash because it isn't designed to help you do that thing, right? So now you've got a a smaller group. Now, the issue is with all of these products and things, folks are doing uh, internal work. Um, it's sometimes hard to tell where uh, maybe an internal evaluation or internal research uh, ends and the marketing starts. Uh, and clearly, there's a large amount of crossover, I think, um, with what's going on. And so I think being, um, you know, just like folks need to be kind of technically, technologically literate, folks need to be maybe just evaluation literate a little bit as well and and look for warning signs um you know does do statistics that might be cited are they do they seem legitimate do they seem plausible um does it seem too good to be true where was the study done you know so the methods uh is it something that folks even are willing to publish right in the information that you have do you have information about which classrooms or which students were benefiting what, from whatever this different thing was, the intervention or whatever. Um, can you see those? Was it a large sample? Was it just you know five people? Um, it's not that it's a problem if it's five people either, just the clarity around um, whether this is kind of a widespread preponderance of, preponderance of evidence or whether it is more anecdotal at this point. Folks, Educators still may want to try it, right, if it's really a good fit and it seems like a good idea. Uh, But I think being able to understand the methods behind uh, what's been done. And also, I would imagine, 
Um, and I'm not an educator myself, but I would imagine you also get emails about very new tools um, and there's not much behind them, right? There hasn't really been much study of impacts in things like that. And uh, in that case, I think it's, clearly still might be a great idea to be maybe part of a pilot program or something where you're one of the ones helping to collect the data to really perfect and fine tune this tool. Um, but knowing that going in would be really important, right? Um, versus a teacher who may be thinking they're using the same tool, um, but that it's been tested, valid, reliable, you know, gold standard type research. There was a control group and an intervention group, you know, and that these things had happened and that there's proof that it worked. Well, thank you, Jason, for your time. I know we could talk about this a lot and we didn't even get to the heart of your work with inequities and, and we can get into even more evaluation methods and strategies down the road. So maybe we'll have you back next year. But for all of you listening, I want this to be your call and think about your organization and think, can you map what you're doing, all the things you're doing in terms of your planning for 2022 to your actual intended impact? Does your entire organization know that? Do you have something mapped that they can reference? And do you, do you know how to evaluate certain things like Jason is talking about, getting up to speed with certain lingos, methodologies, and be able to formulate how do we begin to measure this, even on a lightweight scale? So ask yourself those questions. I think this is a good wake-up call, and it's a great time of year as you start thinking about you have the entire year to make a difference and map what you're doing to actual intended output an impact in the industry of education. And I can't imagine a better industry to make an impact right now. So Jason, I would just want to thank you for your time. Of course. You, you read a lot, you do a lot out there. I am wondering if beyond this talk of inspiration, what keeps you going? What, what keeps you inspired when you're feeling like you need a little pick me up? So we ask this mm -hmm. of all of our guests and maybe it's yeah. going for a run. Cause I know you like to run. Maybe it's some books or some podcasts. Are there some things mm -hmm. that inspire you in your day to day? You can listen to a podcast while you run, which is nice reading a book while running. I haven't had much success with so far, but Honestly, all those things help, but I could still just do any job, right? Um, of course, I would need to acquire the job. I'm not saying anybody would be willing to hire me, but uh, the reason I I feel like I can continue to do like the specific role that I might play in the, the whole universe that is public pre-K-12, uh, you know, the provision of a... Um, free and fair education space for all students is that there are millions of teachers out there just giving of themselves like far more than anyone should ever ask every day uh getting hardly any chance at all to recharge their batteries um and they need to have the tools that like the best the very best tools they could possibly have they need to have access to them to use with their students so that they can go home at the end of the day feeling like they made the biggest difference in the lives of those students that they could and and i'm able to play a small role in that and my my job is is so much easier uh than being able having to do any of that right i'm so privileged to to be able to have this role um so like remembering 
who I'm doing the work for as I'm staring at the spreadsheet for the 17th hour in a row or whatever, right? Really keeps me charged up and and fired up about whatever my small role might be in, in trying to make things just a little bit better. And and I, I definitely don't um, make any mistakes about you know exactly how small that role is and I, I know exactly the scope of it but um at the same time if there was no evaluation happening uh we would be awash with a, a whole bunch of great ideas um but would have no idea which ones actually were in, eventually going to make a difference for teachers and students wow really well said Jason, thank you so much for taking time. If people want to keep in touch with you, learn alongside you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, well, uh, that's the hard thing with me because I don't use uh, social media. Um, so I am a member of the Terra Luna Collaborative, which is a cooperative of evaluators. So I'm a member owner um, in a cooperative. And our website is terralunacollaborative.com. Uh, there we've got blogs and uh, some things that um, we are doing to produce information um, and make information available to folks. And I think probably uh, because of the lack of social media, that's probably the best way um, to be able to stay tuned or stay connected with me um, on that website and probably in your show notes and things. Um, you're welcome to to share my email as well. Great. Well, Jason, thank you again. And to all of our listeners, I want to thank you particularly for taking time out of your day and knowing that, wow, maybe I can learn something. Maybe I can do something different. And that's really what this podcast is about. So whether it's about marketing, community, even evaluation within it all in this crazy place of education that we're just trying to navigate with all the uncertainties, I thank you for your time because I know that of everybody, there is no time. There is no time for educators, marketers, anyone in ed tech. So I appreciate all of you. I just heard some things around our analytics and I wanna give a shout out to all of our listeners in Ghana and India. We have a contingent there. So thank you very <laughs> much. Um, and we had a lot of information, resources that Jason talked about. Everything will be in this episode's show notes and it will be live when you listen to this. So it's at Leone Consulting Group. That's two G's, leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash eight. So all the templates, all the associations we will put in there and Jason's contact information. So thank you, everybody. We will see you all next time on all things marketing and education. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash podcasts for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends, so please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.